Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we wanna encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description of this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring this message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Ready to come to worship? I see some of our nine o'clock crowd that made it to the 11 o'clock. You're doing wonderful. Great job. Oh, hey guys, I just want to just stress like how faithful our God is. Is there anyone in the room this morning that God maybe just delivered you from some stuff this weekend? or this week, I know that he has for me, and I and I just look back at his trek record of all, what he's already done, and I'm so thankful, and, and I just want to encourage you right now, even if you're going through something right now, he will not fail. He has done great things, and he will, and he's in the process of doing that right now. So are we ready to do, just go into worship this morning? Yeah? All right, let's lift our hands. Jesus, we love you. God, we just come into your presence. We welcome you into this place. You are our guest of honor. And we have a reason to praise. We have a reason to worship. So we give you everything this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's go.
where we run to you. We don't run to our spouse or our friends or our employer or our bank account. We run to you. You are our hope. You are our source. You are the one that can intervene and bring peace and strength and wisdom and all that we need. So we declare that we are coming to you. We lay our needs and we lay our worries at your feet, confident that not only can you do something, but you care enough to do something. So Lord, lift our burdens, take them from us now, and give us your peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, church family. So glad to have you all here. If you would, turn and greet one another and make your way to your seats. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you as well. We're excited you're watching with us. If you want to, you can go ahead and mention where you're watching from or put some praise hands in the chat. Just let us know that you're with us there. If you consider yourself newer to Fellowship Church, we'd love to invite you to text uh, Fellowship to 94000. And if you follow that prompt, it'll lead you through a couple quick questions. And in the end, you'll be in touch with one of our pastors and they'll be happy to answer any questions you might have about Fellowship Church. They'll also give you an invitation to an upcoming guest reception where you can get to know a lot about who we are and how your family can fit with our family. But we're just excited that you're here. If you're wondering what your next step is in your relationship with Christ, we always have at the East Pergola a group of ladies that's ready to listen to your story and help you figure out what your next step is in Christ. It might be joining the class or a serving or figuring something out. And we would love, we have all different kinds of ministries for all different seasons of life and faith. And the East Pergola will help you take your next step. We are going uh, to take the offering in just a moment, but we do that now digitally for the most part. So here's the options of how you can give. And if you uh, like old school, you like to write a check, you can also drop those in the offering drop boxes as you leave. The Bible says that, that it compares the idea of our giving to farming. It says that there is good ground, and if you plant your seed, i.e. your money, in fertile ground, that you'll produce a harvest. And so I want you to know that when you do give or when you do tithe, here at Fellowship Church, you are planting in fertile soil. And so here's an incredible story of something that just happened in the last week and a half or so in our middle school service. It was a regular Wednesday night. We just have the teenagers coming like we always do, no special events, and they came out in groves. And so we were hanging out, playing with them in the students' center and at, it became apparent pretty quick that we were hitting some record numbers on that particular week. So we pulled up on our computer. We found that there were 24 students there for the very first time. And many, yeah, super exciting. Many also that were turning for only the second or third time. So we decided we're going to take our usual program and throw it out the window and we're going to pivot. And so at the last second, we decided we're going to preach a gospel message of how to accept Jesus as your savior, how to have your sins forgiven. And so we pivoted to that as a team. We got to like squirt ketchup and mustard and salsa on one of my team members. It was a lot of fun. That represents sin, you know, the mess we make of our lives. But in the end, we were able to preach a gospel for those students and we did uh, an altar call where we had them raise their hands, stand up, and come forward if they wanted to receive Christ and give him lordship and leadership over their life. And I've had the privilege of doing this for 23 years, but never before have I seen 
over 200 middle schoolers at the same time coming down to give their lives to Christ. So you can see that's the prayer time that we're doing. All those kids that are down gave their hearts to the Lord for the very first time, they said, and the, you can see the bleachers are essentially left with our volunteers. It was an awesome moment. And I just want you to know, when you give, this is what you're giving to support. You're supporting the ministries of fellowship. You're supporting the, the youth center. You're supporting the children's ministry. You're supporting the staff that runs and facilitates all these programs as well as the ministry to the poor here in our own local community, all kinds of stuff. But when you sow your, sow your check and you put it into the ground, you're going to receive a harvest. And so we thank you. Thank you for your ongoing generosity to our programs and to the kids and youth of our community. It is making a huge difference. We are so, so grateful for you and for what God is doing in our midst. Speaking of cool things that are happening, let's check out this video. Camp 4640 is coming up fast. It's going to be May 26th through the 29th with a cost of $200. Spots will fill up fast, so please don't wait around to sign up your student. This event is for students in 6th grade through 12th grade, and we're going to have four days up in Cedar Ridge of so much fun, encountering Jesus, praying, and building relationships that will last a lifetime. This event will fill up fast, so please sign up today on the Church Center app. Join us on April 3rd in the 4640 Student Center at 12.30 p.m. for our first Fellowship Church Cornhole Tournament. It's gonna to be a double elimination style tournament and it's gonna have a cost of $25. It's for ages 12 and up. That cost will get you food and awesome barbecue lunch catered in. That'll cover raffle tickets and prizes. It's gonna be so much fun. So if you're interested in joining us for this event, please check it out on the Church Center app for more details. We are so excited to announce our next series that is gonna start next Sunday and take us all the way through Easter and it is called Rescued. From the first book of the Bible to the very last, God's rescue plan is one of the most important themes of the Bible. So for this series, we want you to invite all of your family, all of your friends, invite your coworkers, because in these times that we're living in, in this world that we're living in, we don't need more distractions from it. We need encouragement. We need real help. We need rescue. When our hurts and our healer collide, there is rescue. God wants to rescue us from what's happening in the world. So bring everybody you know. This series is going to be incredible. You do not want to miss it. As always, church family, you can check out what's happening on the Church Center app. Enjoy the rest of today's service.
Well, I don't know about you, but that song excites me, it pumps me up to think that Jesus is coming back. Now, if you've been through this series with us together, hopefully you feel the same way. Uh, maybe you started this series and you were a little worried, a little scared about what was to come, but now hopefully you feel a peace uh, for us that know Jesus um, and an excitement because when he comes back, everything changes for us, right? We, we're gonna be raptured. We're gonna be able to go to heaven. We're gonna be able to spend time with him and, and eternity and not have to worry about the crazy stuff that's happening here on earth. And we wanted to make sure that before we ended this series that we give you an opportunity to ask questions because in three weeks at 25 minutes a pop, it's pretty hard to cover everything there is uh, to cover in end times. That's why we offer a series in the bookstore. You can get that online. Uh, that will answer a lot more questions. But even that, that's like a seven-week series. Some of those sessions are over an hour uh, a session, and they still don't touch the questions that we get when it comes to end times, and especially subjects like heaven. And so uh, we wanted to make sure this week you got an opportunity. So the last three weeks, four weeks, you have been texting in, uh, uh, emailing in your questions. And so we're going to do our best this morning uh, to answer as many as we can. Now, I've asked Sarah Inglehart to come up and to help us out with this. Sarah, is my niece. Uh, she married my nephew, so she's really my niece-in-law, but I just call her my niece because I love her, and I'll claim her, you know. You know, she's pretty awesome. And she's over our children's <laughs> ministry, yes. Uh, infants through first grade, Sarah does for you guys and does for your kids, does a great job. She's been with us for 12 years now and uh, has been a real blessing. So I asked her to help us out this morning. So because of time constraints, without further ado, Let's get going. Jump in. You guys have lots of questions. All right, Pastor Tim, so many questions about heaven. Could you give us like a brief little synopsis on heaven in a couple minutes? Brief synopsis yep. on heaven. Well, Randy <laughs> okay. Alcorn wrote a book on heaven. And it's this thick. So I'm going to do my best to give you a brief synopsis. I do recommend if you have questions on heaven, grab this. It's, we have this in the bookstore. Uh, if she's run out uh, from the first service, she'll order this for you, or of course you can get it in many different ways. Uh, but he is normally a fictional writer, Randy Elkhorn is. Maybe you've read some of his books before, but he wrote this book like a textbook on heaven, and it does answer everything you can imagine about heaven and uh, what we are gonna experience there. Uh, it will really, really bless you. But what we did basically, we had a lot of questions on heaven, and we just kind of condensed and threw as much information as we could together to try to answer the questions that you had uh, over the last few weeks. Well, first thing is if you were saved and you die, you would go to the present heaven, the heaven that exists now. And this is different than the new heaven and the new earth in the millennium. When a Christian dies, he or she enters into what is referred to in theology as the intermediate state a transitional period between our past lives on earth and our future resurrection to life on the new earth. Usually when we refer to heaven, we mean the place that Christians go when they die. And this is what scholars call the present or inter intermediate heaven, not purgatory, not a holding place, but the present heaven. By definition, this location is temporary uh, this is the heaven that our spirit goes to until we are reunited with our resurrected body. This heaven is better by far than living on earth under the curse away from the direct presence of God. And we know that because uh, Paul even says in, when he's writing in, the, in Philippians, he was facing in, 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 uh, a certain death. And so people 
kind of wondered, you know, how do you feel about this? What are you going through? What, are your, what is your state of mind? And in verse 23 of Philippians 1, he says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So he's saying, I'm torn. I mean, I could stay on earth. I could continue to do what I'm wanting to do, but it is way better if I can go uh, be with Jesus in this uh, temporary heaven that is there now. Though this is gonna be a wonderful place, the present heaven is not the place we are made for. We are destined for a life as resurrected beings on a resurrected earth. The present or intermediate heaven is an angelic realm distinctly separate from earth. So in an angelic realm, it's a spiritual realm. It's where angels are, where, angel, where, where angels uh, uh, hang out. Uh, by contrast, the future heaven will be in the human realm on earth, then the dwelling place of, the God, of God will also be the dwelling place of humanity in a resurrected universe. Scripture says in Revelations 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is, Jesus, or this is uh, a John's revelation that came from the Lord. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven, God's dwelling place, will one day be on the new earth. So the new Jerusalem, which was in heaven, will come down out of heaven uh, from God. It will come to the new earth, and from that time on, it will be the dwelling place of God. Now, Randy Alcorn says in his book, some would argue that the new earth shouldn't be called heaven, but it seems clear to me that if God's special dwelling place is by definition heaven, and we've, told, we've been told that the dwelling of God will be with mankind on earth, then heaven and the new earth will be essentially the same place. We're told that the throne of God and, the, and, and of the lamb is in the new Jerusalem, which is brought down to the new earth. And we see that in Revelations chapter 22. So when the rapture comes, the dead in Christ will rise first and be united with their spirit. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse 16. These resurrected bodies will be glorified incorruptible bodies fit for the heavenly realm. First Corinthians chapter 15 speaks of this. Second Corinthians chapter five speaks of this and Philippians chapter three speak of, speaks of this. Now this is, the only, this is only a resurrection for those that died after Christ's death. Okay, so AD, everybody that's died since Jesus' death, this is their resurrection. It says that the dead in Christ will rise. Those that died before Christ did not die in Christ and will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation. So everybody that lived before Christ in the Old Testament times, the new God, their spirits are with God now, but their bodies will not be resurrected till the end of the tribulation. Their spirit is in, pre in the present heaven, but they won't be given their heavenly bodies until the tribulation. Now at the rapture, as soon as the dead have been raised, Living believers will immediately be transformed and translated into the presence of Christ without ever tasting physical death. Then we are, according to scripture, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So that's just a piece of what we have and what we get to look forward to. Okay, but when you say like in, in the clouds, as verse says, in the clouds, it 
It kind of sounds boring. Like, dude, is that going to be boring? Or are we going to, like, what is it going to be like? That's so funny because you always get that question. It's like, so does that mean, like, we're going to have a harp and I have to learn how to play it? And we're going to float around and have our own cloud? I mean, will there be stuff to do? Will they have a good internet connection? Like, I mean, it doesn't sound very fun. Understand this, that heaven, whether it's the present heaven or the future heaven, is so far greater than anything that we can ever imagine. It is like, and if you can picture this, the most surreal day of your life. I think all of us can look back and we can think of certain days where it was just perfect and we, it was just awesome. And we didn't want that day to end. For Rebecca and I, I remember there was a day that we had, we went on vacation, we were in Puerto Vallarta, we were on the beach and uh, the uh, uh, waves were rolling in and we were watching surfers. We were watching whales. We were watching dolphins. Uh, the weather was perfect. The humidity was perfect. The temperature was perfect. Like you didn't get too hot. You didn't get too cold. And we sat on that beach that day and we ate coconut shrimp. And it yes. was just wonderful. And, and I remember thinking to myself, this may be the most perfect day of my life. I don't want it to end. Now, Matt, you can't even imagine how much greater heaven will be than that. It will be so wonderful that you will want to run from that day into heaven because whatever you can imagine here on earth, times at times infinity, that's what we'll get to experience in heaven. Love that. Uh, okay, so after the rapture, are we going to be aware of what's going on on earth? Well, whether our knowledge of events on earth is limited by God or if we will know everything that transpires is not specifically stated. What we can safely say is that those who are in heaven know at least some of what is happening on earth and may even follow these events very closely. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, the Bible says, therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and he's speaking of those that have gone on to be with the Lord in, the, in that angelic realm, let us also lay aside every incumbents in the sin which, is so all, uh, which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So what the scripture is saying is that, you know, because I think we've always asked ourselves the question, would I be acting the way I'm acting if I knew somebody was watching? This scripture says there are people watching. There are those that are cheering you on and wanting the best for you. So, so don't mess around with a sinful life and don't do things that you shouldn't do and, and get off uh, the weight of sin and just you know, live for the Lord. Uh, we also see from other scriptures in the Bible uh, where this is evident. When Samuel, the prophet, appeared to King Saul after his death, which is an incredible story in 1 Samuel, uh, he was away for quite a period of time and Samuel, uh, Saul wanted to speak to him, had questions for him. And so he prayed that he would see him again. And Saul, Samuel comes down and Samuel knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in Saul's life. So it's evident there that he, he had some information about what was going on. And then the Bible also refers to the rejoicing of people uh, in heaven when we are saved. So when people are saved, they rejoice in heaven. So they have to know that. We know that from Luke chapter 15. The martyrs in heaven, according to Revelations chapter six, are aware that their persecutors are still alive on earth. Uh, the multitude in heaven in Revelations 19 is aware of the destruction of Babylon on earth, which happens in the future. That's the new Babylon. And many believe that the 30 minutes of silence in heaven written about in Revelations chapter eight, which is the breaking of the seventh seal, is describing believers seeing what is happening on earth during the tribulation and they're appalled. So yes, people do know, but we just don't know how much. Sure. 
Okay, so tell us some of the characteristics of what the Antichrist is going to be like. So Antichrist, uh, understand, is going to be followed by the world. And this guy is going to be perceived as the Messiah by many of the Jews. And so he's going to have to have a lot of influence. According to scripture, he has all of this influence. It says specifically in Daniel 8 that he will be an intellectual genius. Daniel 11 says that he will be an oracle genius. Daniel 9 says he will be a political genius. Daniel 11 says he will be a commercial genius. Uh, According to uh, chapter 6, verse 2, it says he will be a military genius. He will also, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he will be a religious genius. So he's going to be the smartest person on earth because he is going to be uh, possessed by Lucifer, who's been here also forever uh, and knows a lot and is a angelic, was the most powerful angel in heaven at one time before he fell. And he was going to possess this individual. So it's going to be, uh, there's going to be a reason why people follow him. There's going to be a reason why he has so much influence. Now, of course, we know from Daniel chapter nine that the Antichrist will be of the same nationality or from the same country that destroyed the temple the second time. The temple's been destroyed twice. The second time it was destroyed, it was destroyed by the Roman Empire. Uh, The Roman Empire during that time was vast. It went all the way from where Great Britain is now, all the way through Europe, down through the Middle East and into Northern Africa. So it's a pretty wide range uh, of area where the Antichrist could come from, but it does narrow it down a little bit. Okay, so I know as a parent, I know we have many parents in here that are so curious. What is the age of accountability? What is that? What does that mean? And what is the age? So the age of accountability is the age where a, a, a child will go to heaven regardless of whether they've received Christ or not. So what is that age? Well, many biblical scholars believe it's 13. That is when a Jewish boy is bar mitzvahed and becomes a man. So a lot of scholars say if you're 13 or younger, regardless of whether you've received Christ or not, and the rapture happens or you were to die, your spirit would go to heaven. Other scholars say that it's not about a specific age. It's about an age of when they understand what salvation is. So, you know, that age can range as far as when a a child can understand uh, the uh, process of of salvation. I believe those that with special needs, it's not about age. I believe it's more about what they can understand. So that is a wonderful assurance for us. It also includes any child that was miscarried. It also includes any child that was aborted. So all of those babies are safe and are, are in heaven. Okay, Timmy, I know there's much debate in your household about this question, but will we be married in heaven? Will we be married in heaven? So I got in so much trouble with my response on this. I shared this, I don't know, a while ago. And Rebecca was like, what? We're not going to be married in heaven? I mean, are you okay with that? And I just said, well, babe, I don't, honestly, I was just kind of wanting to play the field. And Your lead pastor, everybody. That was bad response. Bad Timmy. Bad Timmy. <laughs> We teach the marriage seminar and I'm not supposed to say those kind of things, but I was trying to be funny and stupid and I was stupid and not funny. So in, the, in, that, in that particular moment, uh, as we know, because the marriage relationship, it does change. Uh, it will be about Christ's marriage to the church. Uh, it's not going to be so much about our marriage anymore. It's going to be about our, our, uh, the bride and the groom, uh, which we are the bride and Jesus is the groom. Uh, but we'll definitely know our spouse. We'll know them better than anyone else because our time 
uh, with them here on earth. So it's, it, won't, it won't be like marriage, we, the marriage we have here, but we will still have a special relationship. Okay. Tell us a story about the two witnesses in the tribulation. So I love this story because it's, it's the supernatural manifesting on earth. So during the tribulation, uh, first of all, there will be 144,000 sealed Jews, Jews that are sealed for the purpose of evangelism. And these are gonna be uh, the Hebrews that are going to push the word of God out into the world. And that is gonna be their job. But there's gonna be two in particular that are gonna have supernatural powers. And many scholars believe it's Elijah and Enoch. These are two men in the Old Testament that were not, that didn't die, that were just taken up into heaven. Uh, and these will be two individuals that will witness in Jerusalem. And these individuals will have supernatural power. If anybody tries to kill them, if anybody tries, tries to come against them, the Bible says that they will be able to breathe fire and destroy whoever is coming against them. Now, some too believe that it might be Moses. Uh, Moses might be one of the two because Moses just left the people of Israel. It doesn't really document their actual death of Moses, but most scholars believe it's Elijah and Enoch. And then they will do that for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Then at that three and a half year mark, when the Antichrist desecrates the temple, he will also kill these two witnesses in the streets of Jerusalem. Their bodies will be left for dead for three days and then God will resurrect them uh, into heaven after the three uh, days pass. So really cool story, uh, uh, kind of a, a two superheroes that are gonna be in the tribulation that are gonna have superhero powers <laughs> that God is gonna give them. And that's gonna be, that's gonna be something to see. Excited to see them breathe fire on people. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. that will be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, will we know loved ones after we are called up? Yes, we will know each other. Uh, we will be able to recognize each other. We will remember each other. I know that some of you are like, what if I don't wanna see that guy? <laughs> uh, when we go to heaven, we're gonna be forgiven. They're gonna be forgiven. Everybody's gonna see their wrongdoing that they've done in their life. And I think it will be a beautiful reconciliation uh, with those that we love and those that maybe we don't love that are there. I think it's gonna be a wonderful thing and it's not gonna be something that we're gonna dread seeing somebody that we don't wanna see. So it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. Are we gonna feel bad? Are we gonna feel sad about those that aren't in heaven with us that are left behind? Um, well, the Bible says that there will be no sorrow in heaven. So we have to believe that. According to scripture, Revelations 21 verse four says, he will remove all their sorrows and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Uh, so if that's the case, I believe that somehow he's gonna protect us from feeling that sorrow, even though we may know what's going on uh, on the earth, we won't be affected in a way that will cause us hurt or pain, uh, which will, I believe is just a, a, a beautiful gift that we won't be able to see people that we love suffer and cause us pain in heaven. Yeah. Okay, so the millennium is fascinating to me and I'm sure lots of other people and what that's gonna be like. So will people still have kids? Will kids grow up and get married? Will it, will it be like normal life? Well, for those that survive the tribulation, they will still be mortal, okay? They will be mortal like we are now. There will probably be people on earth that are pregnant during the tribulation that will be saved and give birth in the tribulation. But because there will be no sin and, uh, and our desires will, com be com will completely change, the thought of marriage and family as usual will probably not apply. Of course, we'll know our kids. Of course, our kids will be precious to us, but it just, the family dynamic completely changes. Okay, so Christians believe that the earth is about 6,000 years old. Scientists believe that it's millions of years old. What is the difference? 
So that's such a great question. And what we have to understand with this is, number one, uh, scientists use carbon dating for trying to date the earth, trying to date how old things are. And carbon dating has been shown and proven wrong as many times as it's ever been proven right. So it's not the great measure. In fact, they, they tested carbon dating. They took a, the bones of a woman that had been dead for 40 years and they carbon dated her back to millions of years old. So it's, it's not a foolproof method. But, the, but the, really the best explanation of this is the fact that when God made the earth and he made everything on it, he made it in its mature form. He didn't make Adam and Eve and they were babies. He didn't make animals that were babies. He made everything in its mature form. So to scientists, the earth does look like it's millions or billions of years old, whether, you know, however they want to date it. Because to them and how they measure things, it is. God made everything in a, a mature form, and that's what they're seeing when they look back. But we know, according to scripture, there's been 6,000 or around 6,000 years of mankind on the earth. Okay. So why does Satan get a comeback after a thousand years? Because those that were born in the millennium need to be given the same free will choice that we were. So he's going to be loosed at the end of the thousand years so he can go and tempt uh, uh, those that didn't have the same choice that we had. Okay. Do angels or demons die in the battle of Armageddon? If not, why go to fight? So spirits don't die, including our own. They can be bound or banished, and that's what will happen to the demonic. They'll be banished to hell. But our spirits are eternal. Okay. Can you help us understand Revelations 25, where it says the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended? Yes. Now, to understand this term, the rest of the dead, or this, this terminology of the rest of the dead in Revelations 20, it needs to be put into context with the previous and the following verses. In Revelations chapter 20, verse 4, John in his vision uh, sees those that have given their life for God and are still and are sitting on the judgment seat with Christ. These are the people raised up in the first resurrection. That's us. We will be there with Jesus at that throne. In Revelations, Revel, uh, Revelations chapter or Revelation chapter twenty verse six, the Bible says, "Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power." but they will be priests of God and, and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years, speaking of the millennium. So there's two resurrections. The first is for the saved and the last is for the unsaved. Jesus talks about two resurrections and the first of these is when he comes again. John chapter five, verse 20 says, 29 says, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to eternal life and those who have continued in evil will rise to judgment. The rest of the dead are those raised up in that second resurrection, those that are lost, that don't know Jesus, okay? To put it simply, when Jesus comes again, he will resurrect his people and they will be sitting on the judgment seat, living and reigning with him for a thousand years, according to Revelations 20, verse four. Then after the 1,000 years, the lost are resurrected, their bodies are resurrected, and they are condemned to die the second and final death. That is what is known as the great white throne of judgment. Uh, and there's a lot more study that you can do on that particular subject as well. So that's different though, the rapture and Jesus coming. Yeah, and there's part of the confusion about when the rapture is coming is the fact that people misread 
when Jesus comes and what those events are. So the first, Jesus came the first time. We read about that in the Bible. That was his ministry on earth. The second coming actually happens at the end of the tribulation. The rapture, he doesn't come all the way to earth. So most scholars don't count that. But some people say, well, then there, he really comes back three times. Kind of. I mean, he's going to meet us in the air uh, on the second one, but he only comes to earth twice. And that second coming is talking about at the, the end of the tribulation. Okay. So if a person, you know, received Christ as their savior, but is now living in sin, will they be raptured? Always get that question too. <laughs> Um, and it goes back to the, the argument that has split churches for years. And that is the once saved, always saved versus I can lose my salvation argument. And at Fellowship Church, you have the liberty to believe either one of those arguments. Uh, we don't say, you know, if you believe one way or the other, you can't go to our church. That has actually split churches through yeah. the centuries. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I grew up in an American Baptist church, uh, which believed that you cannot lose your salvation. Also went to an Assembly of God church that believed that you could lose your salvation. Went to a Southern Baptist, or graduated from a Southern Baptist university that believed that you couldn't lose it while going to an Assembly of God church that said I could lose it. So uh, I, that's why I have kind of a split personality at times because uh, of those different, a lot of those different teachings. But what, to understand those di two different philosophies, you kind of need to understand what, what, when they said in that camp, exactly what they believe. For those that believe that in eternal security, that you can't lose your salvation, what they, what they believe is, is that uh, if you receive Christ as your personal savior, that that is a birth. And that's what baptism symbolizes is the new birth with Jesus Christ. And that when you are saved and you have that new birth, there's nothing that you can do that will change that. And they will use the argument when you are, uh, uh, when you are born, there's nothing that can change who your mother or father were. I mean, you can, you can, and you can have an awful relationship with them. They can treat you horrible or, or you can treat them horrible. Nothing can change the fact that they are your parents and they refer to the salvation experience much the same way. It's a rebirth. He's now our heavenly father. Nothing we can do can change that. So that's that side. The other side believes that you, if you live in a habitual state of unconfessed sin, you can lose your salvation. So you're, you're, you know it's wrong, or maybe you don't know it's wrong, uh, but you don't confess it and you just live in it, then you're not really saved. That first camp that I mentioned, don't believe that you can, if you're saved, you really can even commit the unpardonable sin, even though there is an unpardonable sin listed in the Bible that's talking about uh, giving credit for Satan, what God has done. That is an unpardonable sin or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, the, 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 my upbringing in the Baptist church said, a Christian can't even do that. Uh, my, te uh, my teaching that I learned in the Assembly of God world said, oh yeah, absolutely, you can commit the unpardonable sin. So uh, it kind of depends. I, I'm not gonna try to convince you of what you should believe. I'm not even gonna tell you what I believe. How about that? You get the liberty to do that. But this is kind of the philosophy that I have of learning and living in those two worlds. I, I believe that we should live as if you can lose it, but pray that you can't. Yeah. Okay, live, the, live as if you could, just pray that you can't. Now, this, neither one of these camps teach that uh, you could be, you know, just you commit a sin and maybe you're committing a sin in a, in a moment and then Jesus comes back and you're like, ah, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I have to choose that moment? <laughs> 
these, these don't teach that. Uh, what they teach is that you have to be in a, living in an habitual state of unconfessed sin, not that you messed up. Because remember, Jesus, Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future. And we have that assurance with him. Yeah. And truth is too, we have to understand there, there are gonna, we're gonna need evangelists in the tribulation. And that when the rapture happens is going to be the greatest wake-up call in the history of the world for many people. And they will be the best evangelists in the tribulation because they will know the truth and know that they missed it. Yeah. So is it true that once someone takes the mark of the beast, they will be condemned to hell? But what if they repent? Taking the mark of the beast is an unpardonable sin. You do that, there's no way you can come back from it. Okay. I know there's lots of questions about the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Do you think that has anything to do with the mark of the beast? Talk about the mark of the beast, you talk about the mandate. That's just what people are doing right now. It's very true. Well, I don't believe that the, the mandate or the vaccine is the mark of the beast. It does not meet the criteria for the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is supposed to be something, it's supposed to happen and, and be put on your hand or your head, an identifying factor that shows your allegiance to the Antichrist. Uh, it's also believed that it will be the way that you are able to purchase goods. Uh, it will be your identification. It will probably be your point of sale uh, to where like a credit card, you can just scan your wrist or, or whatever, and then you can charge things. Uh, uh, Many people, some people believe that that will be a barcode that's tattooed on you. Others believe it'll be a, a microchip that is placed under your skin. We have the technology now to do all of that, okay? Whether it's a barcode or whatever. They, they actually have, there's a business uh, that's in Wisconsin and this, this happened almost 10 years ago where they uh, embedded microchips into their employees' hands and that was their key uh, that got them into uh, the, their workplace they could charge food in the work cafeteria. Um, it was basically their way that they could log on uh, to uh, stuff on their computer. So know that that, that, that technology, it's there. I mean, it's there right now. So it'd be very easy. And I think that the mandate and the COVID vaccine is just a way to condition people to get ready for what's gonna happen in the tribulation. Um, I don't believe, you know, if you got the... the uh, the mandate that, or you got the vaccine that, you know, you're, you're, you've received a mark or you're condemned now, you won't be raptured, but it is a setup. It's a setup because for those that are living in the tribulation, they've already been mandated to do one thing. And now they're going to be mandated to do this other thing. And it's interesting because you got to think about how are, how are they going to explain the rapture? What is the news going to say? What is the media going to say when all of these people disappear? Well, uh, I would not be surprised, and I know this sounds outlandish, but I would not be surprised if they don't explain it away as alien abduction, right? I mean, you think about the movies that are out, you think about the things that people talk about and all the people that claim that they've been abducted uh, by aliens. What else could they say? Like, what else could they come up with? I would not be surprised if they don't use the mark of the beast and say, look, this also will track your whereabouts. So if you're taken, we'll know where you went. We can find you, right? So there's all kinds of ways that government or the powers that be can manipulate people into getting this mark. And this also understand, uh, some people believe that this scripture isn't actually talking about a literal mark. There are those that believe that this is symbolic. Uh, the hand uh, is symbolic for serving the Antichrist. The mark on the head is symbolic for worshiping the Antichrist. 
Regardless, if you are left behind for some reason and you're in the tribulation, uh, don't take a mark that does those things. Don't worship the Antichrist and don't serve the Antichrist because we know that those will be an unpardonable sin. All right, we're gonna come back to number 17 to me and you need to start flying through these questions. Okay, Okay, here we go. Okay, so some scriptures seem to lean more toward um, late tribulation rapture, such as Matthew 24, 15 through 31 and 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, where the abomination that causes the desolation or the man of lawlessness to be revealed before the day comes when Jesus gathers us to him. So that would be at least three and a half years into the tribulation. Can you help us understand Yeah, so that is part of that confusion that can come in with a mid-trib or a post-trib belief. And these these specific scriptures are used when people believe in mid-trib. But you have to understand, once again, that the the second coming of Christ is at the end of the tribulation, okay? They they believe that what the scripture is talking about is the rapture. So if if you wanted to believe or you wanted to see this scripture as uh, the raptures at the end of the tribulation in light of these scriptures, then yes, a mid-trib belief uh, would be more warranted. But understand, uh, first of all, I believe that this is talking about the rapture. And second of all, Jesus is talking to Jews in this scripture. So he's talking to people that are symbolic for those that will be left behind, that don't receive him as their savior. So that shows that it is a pre-tribulation rapture. Also, the fact that it goes against everything else we studied about the fact that things are going to be as usual, business as usual, uh, like in Noah and then the time of Lot. Uh, the fact that we talked about that God is going to remove the righteous remnant before the judgment. Also, that God gave us all these scriptures to comfort us. If we're going to go through the tri- tribulation, there is no amount of scripture that will comfort us from it. But I also always say this, if the Gog and Magog war happen may be a cause for a little bit of an alarm and we're still here, okay? Uh, But rapture can still happen after that. But if that peace treaty is signed with the Antichrist and Israel and understand this, it won't be, do you think that might be the, the peace treaty? You will know it. Then that means that we will be here at least three and a half more years and maybe seven more years. But guys, I'm telling you, Uh, scripture just doesn't point that way. I believe that those that believe in the mid-tribulation scriptures, they're just misreading it a little bit. Um, And like I said, when we're in heaven one day, you can tell me I'm right. (laughs) I'm praying that, I'm praying that. But if we don't get raptured pre-trib, pray that we're raptured (laughs) (laughs) mid-trib because we don't want to be raptured at the end of the tribulation. Yeah, okay. So is there anything in scripture that says the United States will not be a world power or player in the end time? So many scholars believe that we're the young lion that's mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 13. Uh, And this is a country, a younger country. And in the grand scheme of things, we are a younger country that will stand with Israel uh, during the Gog and Magog war. Uh, Some scholars also feel that we are the beast that's named in Revelations 13, 11, uh, where others believe that this is a description of the forerunner to the Antichrist. Because understand, John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. There will be a forerunner to the Antichrist. So many believe that that's the case there. But truthfully, and what I shared in the past is when the rapture hits the United States, we're not gonna be, we're gonna be in bad shape. We're not gonna be a, a much to contend with after that. Okay. What's the importance of our bodies being raised from the dead? If our souls are already in heaven, what's the importance of our physical bodies? God created us in his image and we're spirit, soul, and flesh. This is how he made Adam and Eve. And this is how he made us. It's his plan for us. Okay. Is the Left Behind series advisable to watch or read and how accurate is it? 
So the Left Behind series is an awesome book series. It's by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Uh, it is a fictional book. It focuses completely on the tribulation, very little on the actual rapture, uh, just right at the beginning of that particular series. I believe it does a great job of explaining what is come to come in the tribulation. I think it does it. They, they did a painstaking amount of study to try to make it as realistic as what is it's, go it's going to be. Uh, they do also have a book series for kids. I wouldn't recommend kids read that series, but they do have a book series for kids that's also the Left Behind series. Books are awesome. Movies are super cheesy, so don't, I, I don't recommend the movies, uh, but the books are awesome. Okay, so in light of the teaching of the resurrection of our bodies, is it okay to be cremated? It's a great question, and here's the truth. We, as, uh, as humans, were created from the dust, according yeah. to Scripture. God created Adam from dust. If God can create Adam from dust, he can raise us from ashes. So, Cremation, absolutely, it does not matter if you were embalmed or you were cremated, God's still gonna be resurrect, be able to resurrect whatever is left. And the truth is, is if as good as an embalming can be for you, you can spend the most money on the casket and all that kind of stuff. You stay in that casket long enough, you're gonna be dust, right? It's, your, your body's gonna deteriorate. So uh, yes, God will resurrect you even if you have been cremated. So how do we tell the difference between prophets and false prophets? So a true prophet prophesies, uh, prophecies are never wrong. A true prophet will never speak anything contrary to the word of God. A true prophet will never try to draw light to themselves. A true prophet will never use prophecy to manipulate others. A true prophet will never use their gifts for personal gain. And a true prophet will always point people to the Trinity, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay. So it's our understanding that the Holy Spirit leaves the earth at the time of the raptures. So does that mean that non-believers can still become Christians without the Holy Spirit? Yes. Uh, believers could be believers in the Old Testament without the, the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only were, was given to certain priests or certain kings. Uh, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon a person in the tribulation, but they still believe in Jesus, yes, they will still be saved. Okay, Timmy, last question. Good job. Okay, so if Jesus is coming back soon, what about the dreams, the callings um, that God's placed on our life here on earth? What will, will those things last into eternity? What do we do now? What does it matter right now? So I think a lot of times people, and I get this a lot, people will say, well, wait, I don't want him to come back until after vacation. Or, <laughs> or I, don't want to, I don't want him to come back until I can, I can get married or until the wedding night. If it, just get me through the wedding night. <laughs> Fair. It's or fair. kids or grandkids. Uh, here's the thing. Um, uh, whatever we get in heaven is going to be so much greater than whatever our dreams or hopes were on earth. But also what happens to us in heaven and on earth and what we do on earth is preparation for what we will be doing in heaven. We will have tasks. We will do things in heaven. And this is a training ground while we're here on earth. So uh, know that whatever you can imagine here on earth, the dreams that you will have fulfilled in heaven are so, so much greater. And, and here's the thing, though. Don't stop living. Mm -hmm. Don't stop dreaming. Don't, you know, go to college, get married, do all the things that you've ever wanted to do. Uh, God wants you to do that. And the reason that he did not give us a day or a time is because he doesn't want us to stop living. Because that's exactly what we would do, right? We would, we would live and live and live. And oh, the date's next week. I'm just gonna take the rest of my life off. No. <laughs> And don't cash in your 401ks. Don't, you know, don't, don't sell all your belongings. Go up in the mountains and just wait. I'm not, <laughs> live your life. Yeah. Live your life. That's what he wants for you. Yeah. Well, guys, 
I hope you've enjoyed this series. It's been super, super fun teaching it. And uh, I hope we were able to get to your questions today. Um, let me pray over you specifically a few things as we close. Lord, first of all, we love you. And if there's a person in this room that doesn't know you, I pray that they would receive you. I pray that they would understand that all it takes is for them to believe in who you are and ask for forgiveness from you. That's it. You, we acknowledge who you are and that's salvation. But for the rest of us, and maybe even for those that don't know you yet, this whole talking of end times brings about a spirit of fear. And in Jesus' name, we bind that spirit of fear and we cast it out of everybody in this room, never to return again. And I pray instead that you would loose within us a peace that passes all understanding and that we would know that we have a home forever, you, for, forever with you in heaven and that that is gonna be something that is so incredible. And Lord, we can't wait, we can't wait for you to come back and rescue us so that we can live forever with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I'll ask you now to be my savior, to be my guide, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text heaven to 94,000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer request by texting prayer support to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text fellowship to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.